am I worried that we're going to be replaced by artificial intelligence? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Based on the New York Times article where there was a script published or a chat published with Bing's AI bot, if we are going to be replaced by artificial intelligence, it's going to be a lot more emotional and... Um, <laughs> It's going to be a lot like your experience on the internet already with humans, I've realized, in my experience. It's going to be pretty clingy and disturbing, and they're going to say a lot of things that indicate a level of creepiness I wasn't ready for from our robot overlords, to be honest. Or maybe we are already interacting with robots and don't know it. <laughs> it would explain a lot, Alabaster. Hello, yeah. by the way. Human being, friend. Are we sure Human about that? Being, are we sure yeah. about that? Um, does this sound like an could, a could a robot do Alabaster's job? Better. Please an <laughs> Better. answer in the replies. Um, this totally not AI generated question is how much should size matter in assessing quarterback prospects? Mm. So the reason we're here is because I don't know, Mina, if you have previously been a slideshow on BSO and clutch points. <laughs> but congratulations. This is a real yes. career like seminal moment. But we should explain how you and Bryce Young standing in a photo together. Where was this? When was this? We need to explain how it is we landed here. This is at the ESPYs this year. I had met Bryce the previous year. We did like a commercial together. He is lovely. So when I saw him at the ESPYs, I said hi and asked for a photo and published it. Um, this was, again, last year, so before his <laughs> final college season. So I wasn't thinking about... Uh, how it might potentially affect his draft status, which is the subject of the aforementioned slideshows you're talking about. Yes, that basically Bryce Young is a third rounder now because he stood next to Mina Kimes. And it feels like whatever his height is, it is less than that. The, the problem, as I loudly said on the internet defending myself, is people looked at that and, first of all, they're, they have a couple misconceptions. One, apparently the world thinks I'm tiny. I am not small. Pablo, you and I share this in common where I think the number one reaction both of us get when we meet people in real life is you're taller than I thought, yeah, um, which could only tall. be explained by one thing. And that's this is our burden. Yeah, some are sneaky is, athletic, yeah. some are sneaky tall, and we know why it's happening. But the point is, like, you have to clarify this now for actual, so, I feel like, NFL GMs. <laughs> like, well, what, so the what's thing up? I wrote was, I'm wearing four-inch heels in the photo, which I was. But then the reply, I, I skipped ahead a step, was, well, but you're only 5'3", so he's 5'7", or 5'8". And I was like, no, I'm nearly 5'7", which, if you look at the photo, makes him about 5'11". Anyways, he's going to get measured in a physical capacity very soon, in a couple weeks, the NFL Combine rendering all of this move. Now, is it a problem potentially that he is my size as a person who is 5'10 and three quarters of an inch? This is the question. Yes, thank you. Oh, wow. Just, mm, hardware. It's not a generous Photoshop, by the <laughs> way. Really he he not looks great. much taller than you this there. This is slanderous. I am actually what I just said I was. My doctor can provide my long form uh, uh, physical exam results if you need them. So I hate it, but it actually is a problem. It is going to be the number one topic at the Combine. It is going to be a question, a topic conversation, a topic of much debate that is going to follow us from now until the NFL draft and then probably beyond. Um, because while Bryce Young, let's say he comes in at, comes in, let's say he's 5'10 or 5'11, somewhere in that range, under six feet, 5'11. 
not unprecedented now. There have been quarterbacks in the NFL who are that size, who have had success. You're Russell Wilson's, Kyler. Kyler Murray, although at this point, you know, obviously how sure. successful he was at number one pick is, is up for debate. Um, Baker Mayfield is there. I, it's not unprecedented. But Drew Brees, you know, whatever. But um, what's unusual about him, or I guess the thing that you're going to hear a lot, is not just that he's on the shorter side, but he's also rather slender. And I think that's where we start getting into historically unprecedented territory or more like there have been very few examples of NFL co quarterbacks with that build, that height and weight together. So his weight is also going to be big at the combine. Mm. Um, and which is a shame, Pablo, because he is, and I say this having just spent the day watching Bryce Young yeah. cover the combine, literally good at every other aspect of playing the quarterback <laughs> position. He's accurate. He is poised. He is decisive. He makes plays inside and out of the pocket. He sees the field really well for someone of his size. He is so good at so many things except being big. So, okay, let's lay out just the characteristics here that he wishes he would have for this to not yes. be a problem. So where would he need to be for all of those qualities to just rise to the top as they would with a normal, quote unquote, normal? And by the way, it's very normal. average to be five foot ten, again, in America. Normal um, size. But yeah. normal, very normal sized. Um, and where is he now, like height, weight wise? What's what's the weight? I guess I don't know that part. Well, yeah, we don't know yet. Um that is the thing where you know, he, he might put on weight, head into the combine, or maybe, you know, put stones in his pocket. They don't wear pockets, so you can't hide anything so that we know of. Hydrating. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. High drinking a lot of water beforehand. I bet he will drink a lot of water before he weighs Absolutely. in. Do you, did, you, did you have um, – it was – the lightweight crew team always had to drop weight. It was like wrestlers who wanted to be in a certain class – sometimes had to no they usually had to lose weight too i guess there aren't no, that many bo boxers yeah. boxers sometimes need to make weight because mm. of reasons or another also dominique has this story that he tells where he as a slight cornerback at the combine also super hydrated and vomited just perfectly translucent <laughs> vomit that was just water yeah. af immediately afterwards all right, so he might be heavier at the combine than he normally is. Um, I've seen weights under 200 pounds, again, to kind of put this all in context. He's me. Um, and Bryce Young is me. <laughs> he is so unlike you in literally every way, except for maybe his measurables. Um, I'll take it. And it's part, by the way, Pablo, like, his likeness, it shows up on the field in a good way sometimes because when you watch him, I posted a clip yesterday, he's so agile, his stop-start ability his, is unreal. But there is, a, and I think like a reasonable concern that he might line up under center and Miles Garrett might literally fold him in half. So, so this is what's fascinating to me because part of me is just like, wait a minute, he played for Alabama. Like he played in the SEC. Was this not proven in the most like pro-ready context possible? What, what so give me the difference between watching his yeah. tape in college versus what you expect him to face in the NFL? How vast is that actual difference? It actually is a really good illustration of the jump from playing at the very highest level in college, and he did. I mean, he played Georgia, that they, there are yes. future NFL players all over those defenses. But players always talk about when you get to the NFL, it, it's the size and speed combined that is so different from playing at the college level because of all those defenses. It is like facing a super team every time you step out onto the field made of those players. And oh, by the way, they've also been playing for four or five years and now have man strength and, and knowledge and, and are terrifying. So, you know, it, it's, it's really hard, Pablo, because 
I don't know where I'm going to come down on this when it comes to the draft, like watching these prospects, he clearly to me does look like the best quarterback. Like he's so good at playing the position, but there is going to be an element of risk because of the size, because anytime you do something, anytime, um, you know, you pick a player that has a player with attributes that we haven't seen before, there's always a bit of risk. So just to be clear though, about the thing that concerns you the most it is the physical difference in terms of just how he can hold up against these giant men, monsters, it's, as opposed to like the ability yeah. to see over or to do the stuff that we have talked about previously where it's, you know, hand size or like, can you see over the middle, that kind of thing. I would say durability is like a bigger concern than height because, um, you know, th there are aspects of his game that negate the height concern a little bit. His evasiveness. He's, earlier in Russell Wilson's career, part of the reason why he his height wasn't such an issue for him or was not an issue for him was his escapability in the pocket, um, his ability to kind of create his own throwing lanes with his movements. And I think Bryce Young can do similar things. I also think, by the way, watching his tape, he's pretty good at throwing over the middle of the field um, despite being s smaller. The durability is the concern, I think, for me and for a lot of people um, if he takes big hits. But but I'll throw this out there. I mentioned this earlier in our chat. People said Devontae Smith was historically unprecedented. Yep. The Heisman winner, a fellow, his, you know, former Alabama wide receiver who Skinny. we just saw in the Super Bowl. His size was – like there had not been, I believe, I might be misremembering this, a first-round wide receiver his size who went on to have success in the NFL – and a couple of years in, he looks awesome. So you just never know. Right. Alabaster was trying to creep in here just as I was thinking of a, wait, so the motion of the ocean does actually account for the difference in size. And you want to say what to that, Alabaster? Well, so some of the things that I've read about Bryce Young is there are evaluators who think that he will be at his best compared to his peers in this draft class immediately. He's the most pro-ready years one through three. He's likely going to be the best quarterback from this group. But there's concerns about him as a long-term solution at quarterback because of his durability. My question is, even if he's pro-ready, you want this guy to be your quarterback for 10 years. Would you consider just redshirting him and having him try and put on 20-plus pounds over a calendar year of being on an NFL team? Has there so, have, have they tried this before? That's my, my add-on question to that. I am... Um... I'll use Devontae Smith as an example here. I asked someone in the Eagles organization about this, like when they drafted him, oh, are you, are you going to have him gain weight? And they said, absolutely not, because his agility, his evasiveness at the line of scrimmage, and beyond, like that's what makes him special. And I think to some degree it applies to Bryce Young a little bit. You know, he might gain a little bit of weight and strength, um, but a lot of the things we like about him as a quarterback – are probably tied to his size. So you don't want him gaining too much weight. Um, and if it was simple as that, by the way, he probably already would have done it, honestly. Like this, right. the thing about Bryce Young that you should know is he was earmarked to be the best quarterback in the NFL from the moment he, like when he was like 13 or something. He was, he's from Pasadena. He was always seen as this can't miss prospect. He went to this like powerhouse high school, obviously Alabama. He's had his whole life to gain weight. And, um, it's not always as easy as, okay, go put on 10 pounds of muscle and come back to us and you're going to be exactly the same. But as we talk about size and mobility and escapability, we're doing it at a very particular moment, right? In NFL history, because never has there been a more obvious value on the dual threat quarterback. And at the same time, never has there been a more obvious precedent 
for a giant dude who is nowhere near as polished as Bryce Young to capture the hearts of all of these talent evaluators. And Anthony Richardson, I believe, Mina, is the other guy you've been studying this week. And he is 6'4", 230 plus, only 13 starts at Florida. And when you see him in contrast, what are you seeing? I see a quarterback who, when he runs power, can truck linebackers like between, I mean, he, which, you know, he's not as big as linebackers, but he is so strong and, um, you know, he, he has a million other traits I and mean, he's got an incredible arm, but when you watch him, his athleticism is pretty extraordinary. And because of his size, because of his strength, not going to come with the same questions about durability as a Bryce Young, who, if he tried to do that, um, it would not end well for him. Um, I think to watching just now Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl, if the Eagles had won, I think our, our even though Jalen Hurts made a number of gorgeous throws in this game, yeah. I think the play that we would all remember is him dragging defender, Chiefs defenders into the end zone um, because he's so strong. And most like of dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL, like, I mean, Lamar Jackson's not like this. He's closer to Bryce, although he's bigger and stronger, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout history have been bigger and stronger because it is very hard to run by design and take hits from NFL players if you're not pretty big. Right. And so, look, is we do the comp game. This is this is it's comp season. So yeah. with Bryce Young, we've established he's sort of this amalgam of a couple of different small guys. <laughs> um, is Anthony Richardson, Josh Allen, is that what we're doing? Is this obviously the, the comparison? I think Josh Allen is going to be a name that comes up a lot for a few reasons. Um, It's funny. Josh Allen's always going to be a comp for like raw players who have tools probably for the rest of eternity because every NFL team is going to look what the Bills did and think we can turn him into Josh Allen, which is to say like Josh Allen, for those who have forgotten, was very inaccurate in college. I think his completion percentage was well below 56%, 55% or something like that. Wyoming. Um, Anthony Richardson, when you watch him, sometimes he's accurate. Like it just, you can't tell what he's throwing yet. And then other times, even from like a bad base, he'll unleash like just an absolute bomb. Again, pretty similar to Josh Allen. There's the frame, the athleticism. So yeah, I think his draft stock is going to be really interesting. It's going to be really fascinating to see where he ends up. But I can guarantee you Josh Allen is going to dominate the conversation when we talk about him and his potential. So the other, like, <laughs> insofar as these prospects are all doing, like, Josh Allen karaoke, Will Levis is here, too. And this is Kentucky's guy. And Todd McShay said this about him. I talked to two GMs in a five-day span. One said, I'm worried he's going to be Carson Wentz. The other said he might be the next Josh Allen, because, of course. And with him, you know, I know you haven't studied him yet, but just the general premise here, just to be clear, right, is that you have the stuff you can't coach. Yeah. You have the talent, arm, body, size, all of that. And the idea now is that actually you can coach accuracy into quarterbacks. That's the revelation that we're discussing. You know, it's we're now coming. We're like in a period in the NFL where we have not just one, but two quarterbacks who have dramatically improved when it comes to accuracy. Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was more polished and successful in college than Allen. But, you know, coming into the NFL, like his accuracy was not phenomenal. He was not great throwing to all parts of the field. And you literally, every game, every he just took leaps forward to the point where this last year he was very good throwing the football. And the last time we saw in the Super Bowl, he was incredible throwing the ball. 
I think this is going to be something now that NFL teams wrestle with because throughout NFL history, there was a belief that accuracy was kind of unteachable. Right. Um, maybe guys would get more accurate, but it was a risk that most teams were not willing to take. Now we have these two counterexamples, not one, but two counterexamples of guys taking unprecedented year one to year two leaps. Were they anomalies? Do they have something unique to them? I mean, both Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts are known for their incredible work ethic. Did they just happen to land in ideal situations? I think that matters a great deal, where their surroundings were both amazing. Yep. I don't know, but it is going to make drafting prospects with an eye for development very complicated from now on. And it feels like it's going to say so much. I mean, you mentioned a sentence before that is very much a like terrible relationship kind of philosophy, which is we can fix him. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> Good it, luck, there, man. It, literally, that is every, and of course, NFL teams think like that. They're all yes. super cocky. Like, you look at a guy like DJ Stroud, where they played a lot of football at a really high level, and you're like, I don't know, how much better can they really be? Like, maybe, you know, this, they're, they're pretty polished products. And then you look at Richardson and Levis, maybe, and you're seeing, like, Clay, basically. And then you're an NFL evaluator, and you think that you're, you and your coaching staff think that you're hot stuff. Which one are you more likely to do? I, I, it almost says as much about you as it does about the prospects. Absolutely. Alabaster, what you got next? Um, so this is coming from Peter King, who said that the Jets could pursue Lamar Jackson if Aaron Rodgers is off the table. But from the other side of this, should the Ravens be open to trading Lamar Jackson? So quick side note, the Jets are very funny to me. The Jets are basically saying, look, we can't tamper, but any quarterback you can think of, we're interested in them. This is yes. what Aaron Rodgers was to them via Deanne Rossini, Woody Johnson at the NFL Honors thing. This is now, of course, the latest thing. But the Ravens, mean like my, my main understanding of the Ravens is that no team is constructed more specifically around the talents specifically of this one person as these Ravens are around Lamar. And so to trade him, it feels like not just, it feels like a decision that has massive implications in every possible tense, present and future and beyond. I don't know what the Ravens would do if they moved on from Lamar Jackson. I mean, I guess what they, they, they would, it would not be a free agent. It wouldn't be one of the, there's not that many out there, right? Derek Carr, Jimmy G. They would potentially get a high draft pick, but it probably wouldn't be from one of the teams picking at the very top of the draft. So it would be hard for them to get one of the quarterbacks we've been discussing. It, let's say right. they were to do with a jet who are jet, the deal with the Jets, they'd probably have to move up. So it would be, I mean, essentially what they would be doing as an organization is hitting reset, which is we're talking about a team that is either been in the playoffs or been on the brink of the playoffs every year since Lamar Jackson has been their quarterback. That's a pretty tough sell to a fan base. Hey, this guy who was the MVP, who when he plays is like the most electric player. Yeah, we're going to move on from him. Like we're going to reset, but don't worry. We got a lot of draft picks and, and this guy, Anthony Richardson, he might turn into Lamar Jackson. He might like people, you know, it, it, you're just, it, it feels like a, I'm trying to think of the comp. It feels like you're like selling part of a successful company to bet on a stock or something. And mm. uh, again, they've made finance offers to Lamar Jackson that he has turned down. So it's not like they haven't tried to keep him. But man, they got to try harder because 
he has a lot of leverage over them and he smartly is exercising it. Well, that's the thing about Lamar, because Lamar, again, is essentially, is he representing himself or does he have a family member? What's the situation as we understand it, Mina? I think his mom is. His mom, that's right. Yeah. And so basically there is this idea that he cannot be negotiated with in the standard ways. And so there's an unpredictability to this. But to your point, like, if you recognize that, man, it is binary. It's either you continue to contend or you totally blow up everything. Yeah, I would also push this as far as I could if I'm Lamar Jackson. I would push this to, yeah, March 7th and beyond when a franchise tag has, yes, that deadline in terms of agreeing to that deal. And I guess the question I have is, what is fair value for Lamar Jackson? Well, yeah. So this, this, because he's representing himself, there's like a, it's it's a little bit vaguer because normally we would have an agent leaking details and we'd have the exactly. team leaking details or whatever. What we have heard is that you know there, there's been numbers that are like a little bit confusing and misleading, as of course NFL contracts all are leaked out. But what has been what we've heard is that the guarantees are in line, I believe more than like what Kyler Murray got, who's the last quarterback to get a big contract. What they are not, of course, is Deshaun Watson's fully guaranteed contract. But if I'm, okay, so like if I'm the Ravens, so you're you're looking at a contract, and let's say it's the difference between two hundred and sixty million dollars over four several years or whatever versus three hundred million. Just do the three and a million, man. Just do the I whole know. thing. Like it, it almost feels like a principled stand. Like we cannot do the fully guaranteed. We cannot do what the Browns foolishly did to John Watson. You gotta have to. It seems like to keep our get somewhere close to it. I don't really see the point of taking a principled stand to for this like marginal savings because you know what? If if he gets hurt and whatever, you're gonna lose a ton of money either way. You know, like it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It feels like the kind of thing you get dug in on because you're yes. getting calls from a lot of like the other people in the league. 100%. Seriously, Dude, where it's like yes, for your so own self-interest. Yes, for your own self-interest, your point is right. Like this money is something you can afford both as a matter of financial prudence and also like team economics. What seems to be happening is that everybody hated the Deshaun fully guaranteed yes. deal so much that I can imagine just the the texts incoming to like Ravens ownership about this is an affront to the whole concept he, of what we do here. He himself, Steve Bashotti, their owner, complained about it when it happened. He was like, wow, <laughs> right. thanks, Haslims. I mean, it, it, I'm paraphrasing here. Yes, yes. Tough noogies, man. It happened. You have a... A quarterback who, unlike Deshaun Watson, has not been accused by do dozens of women of harassment and assault. A quarterback who has played at an extraordinarily high level. Like, it is not unreasonable for him to want something comparable. It keeps getting... It, I've seen it represented so many times. Well, how dare he ask for that much? And how stupid is he to turn down? Why wouldn't he? Why shouldn't he? What would I mean, I, I wouldn't do it because I'm incredibly risk averse. And if somebody put <laughs> that many zeros in front of me, I would say yes so fast. But I'm not him. And I'm not <laughs> going to put my own standards on him. Yeah. Alabaster, well, you can relate. You can relate to our mutual risk aversion here. Absolutely. But the question I want to ask is, so Watson makes $50 million more guaranteed than the next highest paid quarterback. And... So, but is it like, is it ridiculous for the Ravens not to want to pay that too? If you're not, it, this is not Mahomes yes. and Burrow where he's guaranteeing you 13 wins and a potential Super Bowl appearance. Why is it not? Good question. I was hoping you guys could explain that. <laughs> well, feels, but I by mean, the I, way, with me, you know, let's, let's even take it on face value, right? Like he's not as good as those guys. Okay, so this is a probabilistic evaluation. 
the point to me is that it's still a binary question. Like either you want to contend right now or you want to start from scratch, at which point you're back to zero. So maybe it's not as likely, but the question is, do you like your chances, relatively speaking? And I have to, you have to, you have to like it with a former MVP. And it's marginal risk. Again, people say, well, Lamar Jackson's bit, he hasn't finished a full season and whatever. Fine, whatever. But we're not talking about either giving him a fully guaranteed or moving on. We're talking about them reportedly offering a ton of money anyways. Pretty yes. damn close to a full guarantee. Like, so if $50 million is the difference that puts you over the edge, you're already going to be on the hook for a ton of money. That's what I'm saying. It's about the marginal risk that they seem to be unwilling to take on. Yeah, I don't know. I, does injury stuff factor into this, to their calculation? I want to be generous to them, maximally generous. And I'm just trying to imagine Again, like, like what reportedly else Reportedly, they've in. already offered him massive full guarantees. So that's why I'm like, I, I get why, I actually understand why they're concerned about injuries, but they're already willing to go, you know, all the way like, like, nine million miles of the 10 mile race <laughs> terrible analogy yeah you you understand what i'm saying you're they're getting close so just go all the way that's that's what it is yeah 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 all right what do we got thought you're gonna go 26 of the 26.2 of a marathon but i digress um so no, let's marathon. let's skip the clippers for now and go to the nets we'll circle back to the clippers okay um Mina's Nets are a scrappy, fun, young uh, bunch with the Brooklyn Bridges. Should the Nets want to build another super team? Mm. So the premise here is that the Nets have lived multiple lives. They have been the team of scrappy kids with Spencer Dinwiddie. They then became the super team. And now they're back to a bunch of scrappy kids with Spencer Dinwiddie again. And the good news is that, well, okay, Mina's raising her finger because you just saw Mikhail Bridges drop 45, I think. Is, what, is that where you're going with this? I think that's everybody says the Nets are like full circle. They're right back where they started. They're this likable young scrappy team. I think it could be argued, but this is all. I mean, realize we're only coming off a one forty-five point game, but it could be argued. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Pablo. That Mikhail Bridges is actually a star. That yeah. Phoenix wasn't quite able to tap into it. That now he's front and center in Brooklyn again. I realize. It's only been like three games, and I might be getting ahead of myself, but it is possible that he is the difference between this iteration of the fun young nets and the previous iteration. Yeah, so this is the case for Mikhail Bridges is that he was defensive player of the year candidate in Phoenix, and by the way, they got the other defensive player of the year candidate, Cam Johnson, in the same trade. Um, but the case for Mikhail Bridges is that he was reportedly being asked about by other teams in exchange for four first round picks which gives you a sense of what contenders believe to be his value, which is the difference between maybe winning a title and not. And so if you can score, this is what I didn't know. I did not know, and by the way, there are multiple nets that I did not know could score 40 plus. Yeah. <laughs> Camp Thomas did it three times. But Mikhail Bridges, I didn't realize he could do that. And so if he has this in him and he gets the green light, I thought the green light was gonna go to Cam Thomas. But more rightfully, it should go to the guy who is like yeah. a borderline all-star already, but could be a two-way player. This is the thing. What do we need in the NBA? We need two-way damn players. And we know he's elite defensively. So if this is any indication, yes, this is a huge difference. Because those scrappy teams before, it was entirely about good vibes and yeah. overachieving. And now you have the best young player from another team. All due respect to Devin Booker, but this guy is a two-way player. And for that reason, he is 
yeah, 45, 8, and 5 level intriguing. Yeah, you know, I saw when the, when the trade happened for Durant, I, I saw a lot of takes about how, wow, the, uh, Sean Marks really screwed up by not doing it in the summer. I mean, setting aside, you don't, it's an alternate reality. You don't know that Kyrie Irving is going to uh, demand, yes. force his way out, and then Kevin Durant's going to force his way out, all that. I actually don't think that's true at all. Like, I remember hearing about the rumors of various trades, and I mean, they seem to have come out pretty. I like this pretty deal. good in this I, deal. Yeah, I really do like this so, deal so much so that you talked about Cam Thomas getting minutes. The Nets. The question we're asking is, do they have any truly great players, and whether Mikael Bridges is a truly great player? And I think we that jury is still kind of out. But they kind of have too many good players right now. Like they have a legitimate minutes problem, where like they they can't even get Cam Thomas on the court at the moment. Yuta. Udenabi, who was amazing yes. before the Durant trade, has had trouble getting playing time, which begs the question that maybe they could have moved some of their like 3,000 wings in regress. The point is, like, they truly have a lot of depth right now. The question is, is it just a lot of good? And I yeah. don't know if we know for sure. So I believe Mikhail Bridges is definitely qualified to be the second best player on a championship team. I believe in him to that extent. This is the sort of test, right? The acid test is, okay, who are your three best players? Their third best player and their first best player are where it gets tricky because you're right. There are so many guys who are plausibly the third best player and we don't have somebody who was the first. What they have is a bunch of guys, Yudawad Nabe, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, down the line, all of these guys. Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton, Sorry. Dorian Finney-Smith, but like guys who can, and those last names specifically, who can play defense and you love Nick Claxton. And by the I way, you've been validated was, as, over time, admittedly. Waiting so long to say Nick Claxton. <laughs> But, the, but he is a he is he is he undoes the original sin of like losing Jared Allen. Like that's yeah, the thing. Yes. Like DeAndre Jordan, they yes. kept him, they shot away an all-star. In comes Nick Claxton to be that. So they've undone so much of this. What they have not undone is the fact that what they need more than anything with all of these three and D guys and a big one guy. is Kevin yeah. Durant. Like that's the irony of this. Is that he is still the perfect guy for oh this God. team. And you stayed. just if he had stayed, yeah. you just can't get you just can't get those guys. So I mean, it's the hardest thing in sports is to get that guy. And the Suns just got him. And so where do you go from yeah. here? I, I think they have a ceiling, but it's gonna be fun. It's going to be fun. That's where I I believe they are yeah. scrappy, Alabaster. They're scrappy more than they are like a thing that I believe that they can exist at this level with. I just want to note that it's been exactly two years since Mina Kimes has been a super fan of the Nets. February 17th, 2021. Yeah. Oh, today's, today's the actual anniversary. This is the wow. What a journey it's been. You did, people didn't think I would stick with them through the lows. Kyrie, everything, trade. But here I am. Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street gift. Yeah. I'm not leaving. <laughs> And to quote uh, this tweet right here from, to quote Steve Nash, all vibes in there right now. All vibes in there in Brooklyn. The vibes mm. now are immaculate. Um, Have to minus be. Minus Ben Simmons, yeah. I almost made it through a segment without. Uh, what, how you feel about Nick Claxton is how I feel about Ben Simmons. I am hoping to never have to mention his name again. Because I, I don't know. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Are we you done? Do this? Are we done? Do this? What do we want to? What's more surprising? 
Alabaster, that Pablo didn't mention Ben Simmons at all in a conversation about the Nets, or that he didn't mention that Mikhail Bridges was in our fantasy league. Destroyed or that he didn't him. mention that Mikhail Bridges was a process sixer. Mm, so two Great things. Um, number one, trust the process. Number two, destroyed Mikhail Bridges head to head. Didn't have a chance. Yeah, I think not he even close. Last place. He was bad. No, Caruso. Alex Caruso was last place. He was like second to last. All the NBA um, players in our league were terrible. Full let, let me listen on a positive note here. The cliche, the team you don't want to play in the playoffs. Fair to say the Nets are in that category. I mean, they are annoying in this iteration. <laughs> Everybody plays defense. It's unreal. It is. It is. So I guess to be the team that you don't want to play, you can't be like a top four seed, right? It yeah. needs to be bottom half of the bracket. Yes. And I believe it's the Nets. I mean, the Heat are always annoying as hell. Yes. And Jimmy Steven. Butler has the do. way of doing that. But you know what? When Mikael Bridges drops 45 on you, just recently, you get to be the team that nobody wants to face even more than the team that most people probably don't want to face even more. I'll take it. The Clippers, too. Can we just, like, check the Clippers and be like, no one wants to face them either. Kawhi Leonard, blah, 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 blah. Alabaster, did you want us to get to that at the end? Or what do you, They're also what's the happening? team no one wants to talk about. Yeah. That's uh, for, I, I think pretty specific reasons, which we can talk about why no one wants to talk about. I've thought a lot about this. Okay, wait, so what's your, why, why, why are we... Why are we trying to speed through the Clippers, Mina? What's your because, psychoanalysis of me? Okay, we're talking about the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard's been amazing as of late. Quietly, of course, it's Kawhi. Kawhi. Uh, it's a little redundant, yeah. But um, here are his numbers for the podcast audience. Since January 5th, 28.3 points per game. I can't see the number of other numbers because they're a little too digitized on my screen. 28, they're very good. And four, okay. I believe. Yeah, he's close to uh, 30, 40, 90, I think. Anyway, or, um, 50, 50, 90. 50, 50, 50, 50, 50 90. Yeah, 50, 50, 90, yeah. Mm. Okay, um, the reason why people don't want to talk about the Clippers or reckon with them or think about them as being a potential threat, which they clearly are when Kawhi, you know, is playing at this level, is that we don't know. You just never know if they're actually going to be there. We don't know if Kawhi is going to play basketball for a long time or Paul George. It's a reasonable thing to question. So why do I want to invest energy, <laughs> takes, thoughts into a team that may or may not be this in the playoffs? I really believe, Pablo, that's the, the source of people's annoyance with the Clippers. Because who the heck knows? No, it's take capital. Alabaster, she's totally right. It's take whoa, capital. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I just disagree, though, because we're, we're so hyped up about this Suns potential super team. And... That's about an injury-prone forward who has knee problems, who the last time he was great was in the 2021 playoffs. And you can say the exact same thing about Kevin Durant, about Kawhi Leonard, who has a stronger playoff resume and has a loaded team also. That's why it's interesting. Well, it, it, but here's a key difference, okay, that informs how I think about Kawhi Leonard. I don't have any idea if Kawhi Leonard even wants to play basketball regularly. Like this is the key difference. Like Kevin Durant, I yes. know he is yes. a he is a Great hooper point. by yes. self description. Kawhi Leonard seems to have taken off entire halves of seasons, and maybe it's because of his knees. And I want to be fair to that, but it's also clearly strategic. It's been strategic yeah. this entire time, and so with Kawhi, I just think it's actually incredible. We have a player who might plausibly be the best player in the NBA when he wants to show up. And other than that, it's very easy to entirely forget about him. 
I don't know of any other player in sports history, maybe, that is like this. That's I think that's so true. With it, it's the combination of availability and intent, I guess, maybe. Um He's all like about Will, winning a ring. He's all about Will, winning a ring. And, yeah, because with KD, like, yeah, he has gotten hurt. But you know that he literally, unless he has suffered some kind of serious injury, he will be there. So we can at least talk about that team with some expectation. Whereas with the Clippers on a day-to-day basis, like, you just never know. I don't know. It, it's what makes them so infuriating is like that lack of predictability. Yeah, I I believe that Kawhi Leonard has he's decided to live an optimized lifestyle. Okay, I yes. get it, I get it. He's there for the championship run, and he's going to destroy people and turn to Michael Jordan. He's done it several times in his life. The problem is that we have it's February. That's in that's in June. You expect yeah. me to fill air by talking about a guy that I know, I know doesn't care about these months in particular and is only now playing enough to. Yeah, get on a rundown. Sorry, that's the trade-off from your optimization, it, is that I don't talk about you. Yeah, it, is, it really is. It's like if, to bring this full circle, AI was man, like was a player. And like, you know, maybe they were if they were making decisions solely for what's best for this player, and we can step take a step back and be like, oh, it's actually really smart that they're that he plays half the time because it it is it, it makes it infinitely more likely that he'll be available in in the summer. And they're right. Yes, they're absolutely no, right. It's the management. smart thing to do to it's, optimize him. It is, but it's not fun. It, Alabaster, it is our nightmare. Yeah, it is. Well, a, pa- it is our nightmare. Pablo, <laughs> let's let's give ourselves both a pat on the back for debatable because we. Over the last months, we've really been talking about a guy who definitely wants to play basketball in okay. Kyrie Irving. He's made the rundown a lot. I am so glad you said Kyrie Irving and not Ben Simmons because I was ready to get owned <laughs> so hard just then. Uh, so much better. Yeah. Yeah, Kyrie Irving, really... there's, other, there's other stuff to talk about. So he's take friendly. I would love to see Kawhi talk to uh, uh, Sydney, the Bing AI bot. <laughs> I feel like they would get along. They would both enjoy apple time. Apple time, apple time, where they definitely just shove apples into their mouths. It's a real story and not a fake thing that became a meme.